from 1955, 1955, where a chassid by the name of Yankov Raskin came to the Rebbe for Tishrei, for Shoshonim Kippur, and he describes what he saw and the impressions it made on him. Now this chassid was a chassid from Russia. He went through the rough times in Russia. And he was a type of chassid that every night he would cry for an hour or two saying psalms, praying to Hashem that his children should all be religious. Because in those days, for the children to remain religious would be a miracle. It was under the communist, and it was dangerous. So he would cry for an hour, for two hours, that all his children should be religious, and they all did remain religious. So he, he went to which rabbi? He went to our rabbi. No. Oh, then okay. he left Russia. He oh. came to Israel, and then from Israel he came to the rabbi in 1955. Oh. Okay. This is the way he looked when he was young. Mm. When I knew him, when I saw him, he didn't look this way. This is the way he looked when he was young. Well, he passed away. I saw him several times. I knew him. I saw him. Okay. Now, you have to realize that, that in those years, in the 50s, Chassidim hardly traveled to the Rebbe from Israel, from other countries because traveling was very expensive and it wasn't so customary. By the time you got to the 60s, and especially the 70s, every Rosh Hashanah there would be plane loads of Chassidim that would come to the Rebbe. Speaking about thousands of Chassidim coming to Rosh Hashanah from all the world to the Rebbe. But in those years, in the 50s, it was mostly uncommon. So here he writes his impressions from, from seeing the Rebbe. So he says, I have no words to describe. I cannot write the deep emotion I felt when I was lucky and I merited to see the holiness, the holy of holies, the Rebbe. And it's known that the feelings of the soul cannot be someone else with speech. I'm only going to tell you in short certain things that I saw but the feelings I won't be able to describe. I came to Brooklyn on Thursday, 10 o'clock in the morning, and that day I was lucky to already see the Holy of Holies, to see the Rebbe. See the, Holy the Holy of Holies. He's, he's describing the Rebbe as the Holy right. of Holies? Right. Five o'clock, I went with my children to visit the Rebetzin, the mother of the Rebbe. What was the name of the mother of the Rebbe? No, that's the wife. The mother of the Rebbe? Chana. That's right. So he went to visit the Rebbe in Chana. And uh, when I was there, the mother too. The Rebbe had a set schedule to visit the mother, but that day he came earlier to visit his mother. The Rebbe would every day, without exception, visit his mother. That was very busy. He would always visit his mother. One time, my parents went, they took the family, we went to the Rebbe's mother, and also the Rebbe came in the middle. Oh, hmm. This was when I was very young. So people had the practice to go to visit the Rebbe's no, mother? No, people who knew, who knew the Rebbe's mother. My, my family happened to know the Rebbe's mother. No, it's my grandmother knew they were very friendly. So we once went there, and I remember when the Rebbe came. 
So we children wanted to run and my father's saying, stay seated. <laughs> you don't realize that this is a big deal. <laughs> so we had thought, when, when the Rebbe walked in, my father thought that we should leave the house. Right. But the Rebbe told the Rebbetzin, there was a mother, like to tell us that, that we should stay, we shouldn't leave. The Rebbe didn't want we should go away. So we stayed there, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe spoke to the Rebbetzin, and then the Rebbe left after a couple of minutes. Okay, so he went, this is 1955, so he visits the Rebbe's mother, and the Rebbe walks in, we all stood up, and this is the first time this chassid saw the Rebbe, 1955, and uh, I recognize the Rebbe from the pictures, he says, and uh, immediately the Rebbe asked his mother about me, who is this person? And the Rebbe's mother said, who this is? And I was shaking and trembling while this was going on. And I also felt so happy that I had the merit to finally see the Rebbe. This is a, you have to understand, this is a chassid who was in Russia, who went through difficult times, always dreaming to see the Rebbe. Then he finally came to Israel, and after a while he was able to visit the Rebbe. And he's describing his, his feelings. What brought him to the Rebbitz in Hannah's house to begin with? He knew the Rebbitzin from Russia. Oh, he knew her. Right. Okay, now I overcame my feelings and I immediately said a blessing with my eyes closed and with a loud voice. This is a blessing which Chassidim saw said when they saw the Rebbe for the first time. Which blessing is it? They said Shechiyanu, right. Oh, wow. Right, so they would say Shechiyanu. And the Rebbe answered Amen. Then the Rebbe asked, inquired about how the traveling was, and some more questions. And then the Rebbe left by saying, have a good time together with his mother. And he went back to wherever to 770. Because this was the day before, this was right before Rosh Hashanah. Now 8 p.m., all the guests, had a chance to go to the Rebbe for a private audience for Yechidus and I was also on the list because the custom used to be the day that the visitors came they would go to the Rebbe this stopped in my days it wasn't, it wasn't customary for too, too many people but in those days you came so the Rebbe would allow them to come to Yechidus it had to be with the Rebbe's consent the Rebbe would give the secretary a list of who should come now this would take place after Mincha, this was Friday night, after Mincha before Shabbos, before prayer of Shabbos. Now initially Rabbi Chadikov told me that I can't join the list. Why not? Because he had already seen the Rebbe. So well, I can't be in the list. But afterwards Rabbi Chadikov was looking for me and he said that the Rebbe wants that I should also go inside. I should also go to the Rebbe. If I'm in 770, the Rebbe wants me also. And I was lucky for the first time to go in the holy room of the Rebbe and stand in front of our king, our holy king. And the Rebbe asked me some questions and I was there for 15 minutes. Now to describe the Rebbe, if I was to try to describe the Rebbe, the Rebbe he's wearing ordinary clothes. See, the, the custom of, in other Hasidic groups, is that the Rebbe, their Rebbe, wears dignified clothes special clothes different than everyone else. So here's describing what he saw. Even the previous Rebbe wore special clothes. 
The Lubavitch Rebbe also wore special clothes, especially on Shabbos. But he says the Rebbe is wearing ordinary clothes just like we wear. And when he walks in the street, he goes by himself without any... without any... Uh, right, but then, no, just walks by himself. In my days, you know, I'm very young, so I'm not that old. In my days, the Rebbe would walk himself, but there were two Bachim that would follow the Rebbe. The Rebbe wouldn't walk with anyone, but, but it was in the streets of, of Crown Heights, so they didn't want the Rebbe to walk by himself. I think it came from the Rebbetzin. So we, the Bachim, we had a system where every time they would walk home on Shabbos, so we would follow. We had a, a turn. I was also, yes. In the weekdays, the Rebbe had a car. On a Friday night, oh, okay. Shabbos, so we would, so we had uh, turns. I was also, I also went a couple times, you know, back, found the Rebbe. There was one time when my heart was pounding. The Rebbe would turn the street, Eastern Park would take a left on Brooklyn, and he would always cross the street and roll the block. He wouldn't want to go to the corner of Union and Brooklyn. There's a church there. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure, but that's that's. Whenever I was walking, the Rebbe was on the street. But this time, I was crossing the street. A car was zooming down, and the car went on his brakes, and the Rebbe ran across the street. He didn't walk; he was running. You know, it was like a split second holding the place. It was like, okay. So the Rebbe was walking by himself, and he walks very quickly. And inside these ordinary clothes is hidden a holy, godly man. Godliness. Every word that comes from his mouth is fire. And when I was there, I saw with my eyes wonders. Wonders in the level of Tchias HaMesim, resurrection of the dead. Besides what I heard from my friends who came also to visit the Rebbe in 770. The next day was Rosh The next day was the day before Rosh Hashanah. We got up early in the morning to say Selichais, that's the prayers you say before Rosh Hashanah. And I stood close, observing every movement of the Rebbe. Selichais was said regular, and... uh, Okay, and the Rebbe afterwards prayed the regular prayer. And then the Rebbe began receiving pidyonis. The custom is that Erev Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah, everyone writes a paper called a pan, a pidyon nefesh. Pidyon nefesh means the redemption of the soul. It's a paper where we ask the Rebbe to pray to God on our behalf. It's called a pidyon nefesh. It's right before Rosh Hashanah, it's the day of judgment. And we ask the Rebbe to pray to arouse compassion for us. So it's called pidyon nefesh. So Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe would stand there, and there would be a line giving the Rebbe just a letter. That's all they did. The Rebbe would say quickly, you should have a good sweet year, and the next person. In my days, the line was Brooklyn Avenue. From Brooklyn to, uh, to, uh, to the 770s. It was a very quick line because you just gave the Rebbe and you went. But in those, da- in those days, it was, an Elbe, it was after prayer. And the Rebbe gave each one a blessing, a good and sweet year. And it kept on going the line until midday, until around 12 o'clock. And then we all went to the oil of the previous Rebbe. And while we were there, suddenly the Rebbe arrived with Rabbi Chadik and Rabbi Groner. Rabbi Groner was carrying a bag of all the pidyonis which the Rebbe received from all over the world. The bag the Rebbe, the Rebbe 
always carried a paper bag. Like shopper? Shop, yeah, paper bag. Yeah, they have all these pictures of him. Always a paper bag. Some of those pictures? <laughs> Nothing. With all letters from the letter, oh. letters and letters. Oh, I thought oh, how nice it goes to the market or something. <laughs> With letters, full of letters. Uh, as the years passed by, it was like several bags. Oh, okay. But in those years, it was only one bag. Oh. But Lebel always went into, into his car when he went to the oil, always with a bag. I don't know why no one bothered buying him a, <laughs> a briefcase. I'm sure they wanted to buy it, but he wouldn't take it. Okay, so the Rebbe was by the oil, and the Rebbe started praying, and I was lucky, I merited to see the Rebbe, the way the Rebbe lights the Nair Neshama there, and he started reading the Pidyonis, he started reading it. The way the Rebbe reads it usually is, he would read it quickly, and he would tear it and throw it in. When we read something, when we go to the oil, we write something, after we read it, we tear it and we throw it in. So some of the letters the Rebbe got, the Rebbe torn throw in some he wouldn't tear, he would take back. Some he wouldn't tear. It was like, it was, uh, I don't know how it worked, there was some process. That would read, and some of the, they would fold it, tear it, and some he wouldn't. Some he would just uh, put back, he would keep, he would hold it himself. Okay. Now, um, they didn't tell us, they didn't tell us to leave because the Rebbe was there, but I just felt not in place standing there, together with the Rebbe. So as soon as I was able, I just left. In those days, when the Rebbe came somewhere, the Chassidim would usually run away. And let's say the Rebbe came to the Seven, you were standing there. As soon as you noticed the car, you'd run away. You'd run for your life. Because Chassidim were embarrassed, the Rebbe shouldn't see them. Why? Why? Because the Rebbe is so holy. And who am I? Why distract him? Not distract him. I, I, what kind of chutzpah could I have to stand in front of the Rebbe? That used to be the custom of chassidim. The Rebbe would come, you'd run away. The Rebbe would walk into the assembly, you'd try to be behind someone, so the Rebbe shouldn't see you. But then, as the years passed by, chassidim started changing. Some of the young ones, they started running in front. The Rebbe should see them. It used to be the new custom. But in my days, people would always run away. You know, even afterwards, the older chassidim, you know, whatever you want to call older, older doesn't mean an age, but those who had a different perspective, they would always run away from the rabbi. But the younger crowd, other people wanted to be in the front line. You're asking why it's that way. Every chassid, let's look at it superficially, every chassid felt and knows that the rabbi could read thoughts. The rabbi could see through the person, right? So sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed. Now, what did I do 20 minutes ago? <laughs> okay? So we're just embarrassed. How could you stand in front of them and just run away? That was the old generation. Okay, so he was standing by the oil and the never came. So as soon as he had a chance, he just scrammed. You know, as the years passed by, people would want to be there. But the, the, the old student had a different feeling, you know, a different texture. You, know, you, you just run away. I was lucky that I was invited to the meal, Rosh Hashanah, to come to the Rebbe's table. The Rebbe would eat the meals upstairs in the house of, of the previous Rebbe, when the previous Rebbe's Rebbetzin was alive. So the Rebbe would eat upstairs and he would invite certain people. He was one of the people who was lucky to be in the Rebbe's table. The way it looks is that the table is set up exactly the way it was set up in the life of the previous Rebbe, which means the chair of the previous Rebbe is standing there, 
in front of the chair of the previous Rebbe, on the table, there are two chalas, everything as in the left of the previous Rebbe. And the Rebbe sits on one side on the left side, and the other brother, the Rashak, sat on the right side. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Okay, I was I was praying close to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, "Maftir." The Aftira the Rebbe said, "Aftira is what's Aftira?" Uh, it's a story about right. It's from the prophets. After we read the Torah, there's a reading of the prophets. That's called Aftira. So the Rebbe said Aftira. When the Rebbe would say Aftira, would say it low usually. It was hard to hear. And all the chassidim were pushing to get closer to hear every word. So the Rebbe said it, when he reached one point where it says, making off a doll, Hashem uplifts from the dust the poor, when it came to those words, the Rebbe's voice choked from crying. And each word he was saying, he stopped, and he found it difficult to say those words. He was crying when he was saying some words. In my days, it was seldom, but every once in a while, the middle of Torah, the Rebbe would stop and he would, he would cry, he would choke. And when the Rebbe was crying, everyone around started crying. And at that time, everyone felt that they're not living in this physical world. Everyone felt that we're somewhere else. We're all pointing, our soul, our heart is all directed to our Father in Heaven. And we all had this hope that Hashem would accept the prayers of the tzaddik, of this godly man. And then for the day meal, again I was invited to the Rebbe. Now when it came to blowing the shaifa, the Rebbe blew the shaifa, but he had a black shaifa from the Rebbe Marash, which I was lucky, this is Rabbi Rasman saying, <coughs> I was lucky to bring it to the Rebbe from the Rebbe Marash. I took it from the Rebbe's and the Rebbe's mother in Russia, in 1944, that was the year that the Rebbe's father passed away, when his father was exiled by the communists. So this person, this Raskin, Rabbi Raskin, was there in that city. The Rebbe's and the Rebbe's mother gave him the shoif of the Rebbe Marash. Rebbe Marash, who's Rebbe Marash? That's the grandfather of the previous Rebbe. And when I came to Israel, I sent it to the Rebbe, the Rebbe Raskin. And from that year on, the Rebbe uses the shaifa. Okay. And he continues the description of what was taking place, what was taking place on Rosh Hashanah. It's a beautiful description. When I, when I read this, I get very emotional. Because I know the way it was in the later years, and I see the way it was those years. It's like alive for me. But we'll continue this in uh, next time. Right. Um, you know, an ordinary Jew came to visit the Rebbe, but he really had a very distinctive part in the lives of their whole family. Right. I mean, right. Given the chauffeur, the Maharaj, right. Right. That's right. That's right. So, and he, you know, he wasn't lucky to sit at the table. He was. He was. He, was, he should have been part of it. He, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I mean, he was an elder chassid. Yeah. He was an elder chassid. He went through Russia. He came to visit the Rebbe, and yeah, that's right. So he was invited. He was a special person. Okay, we're going to get to the light now.
The light. The light. See the light. Or the light of Torah. Okay, we're in the middle of the Teva, we're in the middle of the Ark. And God says you should make the Tsoiha, you should make light for the Teva, for the Ark, the Ark of Noah. And we learned the interpretation of the Balshemtoiv, where the Balshemtoiv says that the Teva, the Ark, represents the words, the letters of Torah and prayer. And we have to make it shine, Tsoiha, Tasla Teva, we have to put a Tsoi, we have to put light into the words of prayer and Torah. That was the teaching of the Balshemtoiv we learned last week. This week we're going to analyze and learn more of this. We're going to understand this more. Today, just listen. We're not going to learn it inside. Today we're going to just discuss the Balshemtov's teaching of this. Now, this is composed of two elements. It's composed of oirois and kalim, lights and vessels. Lights and vessels. Now this is taught in Kabbalah and Chassidus that everything is Oyrois and Kalim. It has its origin in the mystical holy levels of godliness where we have lights and vessels but then it finds expression within this world where we have lights and vessels. Now let's just give an example of lights and vessels in this world. <coughs> you go to your child, you go to someone you love and you kiss the person, you hug the person. What you have taking place at that point is lights and vessels. What are the lights and what are the vessels? The lights is the love, is the, love, is the feeling that you have. The vessels is the kids. That's right. You're passing it through. That's right. Exactly. So the kaling, the vessels, are a, a means. It's a means of channeling the lights. Of channeling the lights. That's what kaling are. And everything in this world is composed of lights and vessels. Now, when it comes to talking, when a person talks, we also have lights and vessels. What are the lights and vessels when a person talks? Well, the vessels are the words. Right. The vessels are the words. That's right. The lights are the thoughts. That's right. Now, the lights which go through the vessels, which are expressed through the vessels, through the words, by a person, those lights are either intellect, logic, or emotion. Those are the lights that go into the kalim, that go into the vessels of your words. When a person talks, we're to assume he's either saying something intellectual or he's saying something emotional. So the emotion will be the light. The intellect will be the light. The words are the kalim, or the vessels. Okay. Okay, now, in communication, when it comes to communication, what's the essential? Is the essential the light or the vessels, the kalim? The oilois or the kalim? What's, what's the essential? Huh? What's the essential? What's the essential? The words? The words are the essential, or what's inside the words? What's the essential? The essential are the words, or the lights inside the words? Is the essential the, the words, the kalim, or the lights inside? What's the essential? 
The answer is the light is the essential. Yes. You want to express something. You want to express an emotion. You want to tell someone you love them. You want to tell someone you hate them. You want to express an emotion. The main thing is not the words. The word is just a keli. It's a ve- it's a vessel. Through the words, you express something. You need the words, but the words aren't the important component. What's really important is the feeling you want to get across. You want to make sure the other person gets the message you love the other person. But without the words, they won't get that message. Right. So it's or a necessity. But that's not what you're asked to do. What you really want is the light should be should be transmitted. You just can't transmit the light on its own. You have to have candles. But that's just a necessity. Not that, you need, not that that's what you really want to do. No, no, two different things. No, two different things. No, you have an objective, something that you want, and then you have a means of carrying, out, carrying that out. The means is not the essential. The end, your objective is the essential. You have a problem, you can't do that, so you have to do it. Let's give an example. A person, let's give an example, and a person works. In working in a job, you also have the vessels and the lights. You have it in different formats, but let's go the simple way. What's the vessel, what's the cable to work? The cable is your work, your job. What's the lights? The money. Okay. Well, are you out to produce that? Are you out to produce the sacks or are you out to get the money? What do you have to do? You want the money. The only way to get the money is by making a keli, making vessels. The vessels are the work, the machinery, the job, that's the keli. But you really want to have the money. Okay? And if you would be able to get the money without working, would you go to work? No, you wouldn't go. Okay? The lights is the money. You could go deeper. Money itself, you could break up into lights and kalim. But we're just looking at it in a simple way. Okay? So even though you're working and you have the kalim, that's because you have no choice. But the main, the essential in what you want is the light. So when you're transmitting an emotion, you tell a child, I love you. You're not interested in the words. You don't want the child should get the words. You want the child should get the feelings. But you can't express those feelings unless you use words. So you use the words too. That's a kale, it's a vessel. The vessel is not the objective. You don't want to get the vessel. You want to get the lights. But you have no choice. In this world, the lights have to go through vessels. Without vessels, the lights can't go through. Can't be communicated. Likewise, logic. You have someone that's talking logic. He's trying to communicate logic. He has to use words. You can't communicate logic without using words. Words are an essential, they're necessary. But, but what's the essential? What does the teacher want? The teacher wants the student should get the words? Or the teacher wants the student should get the logic, the concept? The logic, the light. That's really what's going on. The main thing is the communication of light. But you have to use Kalim to get the message across. It's just a necessity. But that's not our objective, that's not the light. The light is the intellect, the emotion. Therefore, you can have two people expressing the same light with different kalim. You can have two teachers explaining the same concept. They're going to use different kalim because the kalim are not the important factor. What you really have to do is the light. You want to tell someone you love that person. You can use different words of saying it. It doesn't have to be the same words. It could be different words. 
But the main thing is the light. You want the light should get across. The oyros, the light should get across. Is it Kaylee or Kalem? Well, the singular is Kaylee. The plural is Kalim. Likewise, oir is light. Oirois, orot, oirois is the plural. You have oirois. Oir is light. Oirois is plural light. Kaylee is vessel. Excuse me, Kalim is plural, vessels. Okay. Okay, let's not get into any politics now. Okay. Okay. Now, when, when we speak, we could discuss concepts, or we could uh, call people names. I mean, their real name. Okay? Rachel, Leia, Yanko, we could call a name. Now, when we have names, names are words. A name is a word. What's the purpose of using names? Identification, Identification right? Communication. Right? The only reason I use a name in a simple sense is instead of saying AU, instead of saying AU to every single person, you give a name. Yanko, Leia, Rachel, you give a name. That it's meant for communication. So you have the Kalim, you have a Kaylee. The Kaylee are the words, but you want to express something, you want to call someone, you want to get a message across. That's the Oilers. Now, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to pr- when it comes to learning Torah, when it comes to these two things, prayer and learning Torah, here everything changes. Everything's going to change now. Now let's um, let, let's think what prayer means. What's a prayer? In this in this in the simple sense, prayer is an emotion. Prayer is love of God. That's prayer. The Torah says you should serve God with all your heart. So so the Talmud asks, how do you serve God with all your heart? The Talmud answers through prayer, tefillah. Tefillah is serving God with all your heart. So when we pray, prayer is an emotional experience. Learning Torah is an intellectual experience. Prayer is an emotional experience. Now, what do we say in prayer? We say how great God is, how big God is, how tremendous God is. That's what prayer is. Why are we doing that for? Why are we discussing the greatness of God? Does God need our praise? The reason we're praising God is because we love God so much, we have to express it. When you love someone, you have to express it. If you don't express your feelings for someone else, it's painful. It's like a vacuum building up inside you. You have to express your feelings to someone else. When you love a child, you don't keep it a secret. When you love your spouse, you don't keep it a secret. You have to express it. So when we love God, we can't keep it a secret. We have to express it. So we say words of praise of God. But those words aren't empty words. These words are kaling. These are kaling. These are vessels. What's contained in these words of prayer? An emotion. Which emotion? The emotion of loving God. That light is contained in the words of our prayer. When we learn Torah, we're discussing intellect. We're discussing depth, godly logic. So we have the words that we use. Those are the kaling. Then we have the concept being expressed. Those are the lights. That would be the simple understanding of prayer and Torah. However, however, in reality, it doesn't work this way. 
prayer and Torah, when it comes to these two things, prayer and Torah, the words, the letters, are not kalim. They're not just kalim. They turn into lights. The words of prayer and the words of Torah are not kalim, but they're also lights. That's unique in prayer of God, prayer to God, and studying Torah of God. That the words itself become light. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov says that <laughs> you have to have the words of Torah and prayer and you have to make it so, you have to make it shine. Because the letters themselves are not kalim, they're light. Now let's see what that means. What does it mean that the kalim are light? Now let's remember, let's recall what the Baal Shem Tov said last week. Let's see what the Baal Shem Tov said. Baal Shem Tov said that one of the things he said was you have to have a great faith, a great emunah. You have to have a great emunah in the words that we say. A great faith and belief in the words that we say. The Baal Shem Tov says you have to brighten the words. You have to make it shine. You have to have faith in those words. He says that the words themselves create, create a union in godliness, in the world, in the soul. We learned last week that there are three floors, there are three floors to the table. What are the three floors of the table of the words? That's right, the world, soul, and godliness. Each word has so much, it's so rich. So you have to have faith in the words. And in another point, the Baal says, when you pray and you say those words, you have to pray to the words themselves. So the words themselves of prayer are not just kalim, they're not just vessels, the words are lights, they're oilers, they're lights. And we have to expose the light through tzoyhar tasalateva, illuminate those words, because the words themselves are light. Now let's see what that means, that the words themselves are light. Let's see what that means. Let's first give an, an analogy for that, to understand what, how a word could be light. In other words, when we say the words of prayer, it's not just an emotion being expressed through those words. Those words are giving us light. Those words are lights themselves which are shining into our soul. The words themselves are so rich. So therefore a person could end up saying the words of Psalms, the words of prayer, and not understand the word that you're saying, and still you're connected to the prayer itself, because the words themselves are light. You could be learning Torah and say the words of Torah, maybe you don't understand the word, but the light of the Torah is still shining into ourselves, into our soul. So when it comes to the words of prayer and the words of Torah, it's not like common language words, which are only Caleb. The words of Torah and prayer are oilish, they're lights. Let's give an example for that. Let's see how in common, common practice, common talk, we also have these lights and words. Even though we're saying till now that when we talk, Caleb are only words, but there's an exception. Exception is when you love someone and you say the name of that person. You love your child, so you say, Yanko, Moshe. You're going to say the name. Why are you going to say the name? The kid is right in front of you. He's not in the other end of the room where you call Mendel, come here. He's right in front of you. And you say, Mendel. Why don't you say Mendel for? He's right in front of you. Why don't you say you? When you love someone, why do you say the name? The name is not just the Kaylee. It's not that you want to express. The name itself is the light. The name of the person represents the person. So when you're saying the word Mendel, 
that itself is shining. Those words itself has a message. The letter, the name itself is the light. So here we see that sometimes words are transformed from being just a keli into a light itself. So therefore you see, when you love someone, you keep on mentioning the name. You keep on mentioning, why are you mentioning the name so many times? Because the name itself is shining. The name itself sends a message. The name itself increases the message. It creates the message. The name itself creates the love. So it's not just that through the words an emotion is being expressed. Those words are creating a deeper emotion. That's how we see that words are sometimes like themselves. And likewise in Torah and in prayer, the words itself are the lights. They themselves shine. Okay, now let's get more specific about this. Let me first, first give an example, another example of this. When I, used to, when I started going to the Fabrengans of the Rebbe, I was young, and I was standing by the Fabrengan. It was squashed. There many people there. It's a small place. It used to be small. There used to be an old 770, which was a small part, like, like a, I would say, a tenth of what 770 is now. It used to be like a tenth of that. And it was cramped. I was a small guy then. I don't know, less than 13. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the Rebbe. I didn't understand a word. I knew the language. I knew the language. I knew Yiddish. But I didn't know what the Rebbe was talking about. He was talking such deep concepts. I didn't know what he's talking about. And I was standing there. Not just me. My friends also. All the young guys were all standing there. Every Fablangan. Or at least when I was, I was standing there for hours and hours. What am I doing there? <coughs> the Rebbe was talking. If you ask me, say something over. Could you repeat something? Nothing. Maybe a word here, a word there. I can't repeat anything. I don't know what I was talking about. But I'm standing there. I grew older. After standing, let's say, a year, two years, and not knowing what I was talking about, finally, I started catching. I started understanding what the Rebbe was saying. I started understanding the sikhs of the Rebbe. And that's a pleasure. I know what the Rebbe is saying. At least part, as much as I could understand. I know what the Rebbe's message. I know what this sikh or the next. And when I'm, I'm anticipating, I want to know what the Rebbe's going to say. And sometimes I enjoy it more, I understand it more. Sometimes I enjoy it less. But it's a lively fabrengan. But something is missing. Once I started understanding the Rebbe's words, something was missing. You know what's missing? Why am I standing there? It used to be I'm standing there because the king is talking. The king is there, I've got to be there. I have to listen to the Rebbe. I don't understand a word. It doesn't matter. I have to listen to the Rebbe. Once I started understanding what the Rebbe was saying, it was different. It's not so much a king is talking. I want to know what the Rebbe is going to tell me. What's his message? It's not the same relationship anymore. And this kept on going for years and years. As I matured more, I understood more and more what the Rebbe was saying. It was a whole different approach of standing there. And I missed the way it used to be. I missed. I had nostalgia for those olden days when I was a young uh, nobody. I was a baby there. But I was standing there. It was pure. Until one time God helped. And the Rebbe said a sikh in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so good. I remember those only days. I cherished every word the Rebbe said. I couldn't repeat anything. But it was so precious for me, right? So when the Rebbe is talking, there's two things. There's lights. The Rebbe is expressing something. But the words themselves are light. The words themselves are shining. That's why by Chassidim there was always a stress. There was a focus. Say over the words of the Rebbe. 
You know, after the Rebbe would have a Fabrengen, there would be what's called Chazava, a review of the Fabrengen. Because the Rebbe would speak for hours and hours, and there was so much there, the average person couldn't repeat that. So you had people who had a, a, a tremendous understanding of the words of the Rebbe, they had a photographic memory, the top one was the Bjol Khan. The Bjol Khan is, is, is the Chassid who knows the most Chassidus in our generation. He has the deepest understanding, Bjol Khan. He wrote several books in Chassidus. So Bjol Khan, he was like the chief Chaiser. He would repeat the, he had some helpers. You know, one of the helpers was Simon Jacobson, who wrote this, uh, which book? But in the life, he's one of them. There were several Chaiser there. So they would say with the Fabrengen, word for word, practically, word for word, they would say with the Fabrengen. Then they would write it down. The Rebbe would check sometimes, and that's, that's the books we have of the Rebbe, the Sichas. So to be, this was always, by, in Hasidic tradition, you repeat the words of the Rebbe. And you repeat it once, and again and again, it's Chazara. Sometimes they were old Chassidim, you know, they heard all Fabrengen. After, you, you, by the time the Fabrengen is over, you're tired. You know, you're standing there crushed for hours and hours. You're trying to listen, and there's pushing. Sometimes the pushing gets terrible. Afterwards, you're so exhausted, and most people didn't even make Kiddush. This is on Shabbos. Shabbos afternoon. After davening, most people didn't even make Kiddush. If they made Kiddush, they just ate. They didn't eat yet. And then they repeat the Fabrengen. So people stay there for another hour, another two hours, to hear it again. And then you try to hear it again, and again, to get the words of the Rebbe. Because when the Rebbe talks, it's not just that the words he's using is a keli, the words of the Rebbe is a light. The words themselves are shining. And that's where Torah differs from other topics, from other sciences. In other sciences, in math, in history, the words aren't important. It's the concept you're trying to get across. You happen to choose certain words, but those words are only kalim, only vessels. They're not crucial. They're not essential. But when it comes to Torah, Torah is different. Torah, the words themselves are shining. The words themselves are light. And therefore the law is that when you learn Torah, when you learn Torah, you have to say a blessing before you learn Torah. And when you learn Torah, even if you don't understand what you're saying, it's still Torah. That's why when they call people up to read the Torah, they say a blessing. Even people don't understand a word of Hebrew, but it's still learning Torah. Why is it learning Torah? Because the letters themselves are holy. And here we get to a distinction between the written law and the oral law. There's a difference between the written law and the oral law. When it comes to the oral law, which is the Talmud, the Quran, Jewish law, and so on, when it comes to the oral law, you have to know what you're talking about. If you just repeat the words and you don't know what you're talking about, you have not studied Torah. The written law, the five books of Moses and so on, the written law, if you say those words and you don't know a word, you fulfill the obligation of learning Torah. <coughs> the difference is that the written law, the words themselves are lights, they're oilers. When it comes to the oral law, the words are vessels. In those vessels you have the light. But what's essential in the oral law is understanding the concept of the Torah. To have a solid understanding, the words are less important. That's between the written law and the oral law. So you can't learn Torah, they say, for the sake of heaven, the oral Torah? Like, I thought any learning of Torah was like doing a mitzvah. Right, but what is considered learning Torah? If you're learning Talmud and you repeat those words, and you don't know what you're talking about, then you haven't learned Torah. So you, you wasted your time. Did you not fulfill a mitzvah? You have not fulfilled any mitzvah. No. Yeah, because you, you wasted your time. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the written law, 
when you say those words, when you say those words, you don't know what you're saying in the Torah, in the Chumash, you fulfill the obligation of learning Torah. That's pretty well, not only did they fall in mitzvah, they literally wasted their time. Yeah. Then what are they doing there? You know, there are classes and you're learning. So you what do you think to, people you sitting in the know what they're talking about? How do you imagine it? You have to go through the process of learning it before, before you can understand what you're learning. Yeah, there are degrees of understanding. You don't have to understand it fully. Uh-huh. You can understand it a little bit at first, which is also understanding. You can understand. The translation is okay. Just what it says. No, if, if, if you learn, let's say the Talmud is full of questions and answers. So I start reading, oh, this is a question, this is an answer. And then I ask my student, tell me, what was the question? I have no idea. What was the answer? I have no idea. You haven't learned Torah, you wasted your time. But maybe later on they'll go, oh, no, I just got it. <laughs> if they have a superficial understanding, uh-huh. even a superficial understanding, minimum, you know, the question or the answer minimum, that's a start. So at least you understand something, something is being grasped. That's also learning Torah. But if you have no understanding of what you're learning, you're wasting your time. Are you learning? Are you learning?